Hello, and welcome to another episode of Reading and Studying God's Word from Agape Fellowship. Today, we are going to start learning one of the most exciting passages of the Bible. The Sermon on the Mount was one of Jesus' most famous teachings. The crowds came up a mountain to listen to him. Let's hear to what Jesus has to say as we read from Matthew chapter 5. Tonight we're beginning an exciting portion. Um, All of us know this. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, This is the portion where Jesus, for the first time after his temptation, um, he comes to starting his ministry. Um, He teaches his disciples. uh, What did the scriptures mean? If you remember, Moses had given them the scriptures and then over a period of time, They had forgotten what God had written. And in many instances, they didn't understand. It was just straightforward obedience or disobedience, shall we say, without understanding the true meaning of what God had intended. So Jesus, in opening the scriptures and talking from it um, and referring to it and going in detail, um, he highlights what God wants of uh, not only the Jews, but also now us um, that have come after them. So that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Um, So here's how it goes, and you can see on my blackboard, and I'll try and keep up both of them together so we can refer to both. Um, It goes this way, and seeing the multitude, this is verse 1 of chapter 5, if you'd like to follow along. um, And seeing the multitude, he went up up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Jesus, remember, uh, as we read through chapters 1, 2, and 3, the close parallel that Jesus is following the same route as the Israelites um, followed. Um, Temptations through the wilderness. And then there was another part where Moses went into the mountain and brought the scriptures down to the Israelites. Likewise, in, in a symbolic fashion, Jesus also goes up to the mountainside, just as Moses did at Sinai, to receive the Ten Commandments. The Greeks read this as mountain, but Matthew uses an expression that indicates it's not really a mountain, it's a hill country. So Jesus goes into the hill country and sits down. Now there's a reason, I'll come to that in a moment. Uh, And when he sits down, his disciples come to him, as you can read in the scriptures, and uh, then he begins to teach them. Now, did he mean disciples as the 12 that have been selected, or is it something more or less? We're not told that, uh, but when we think about the disciples, we think in terms of the 12. It, it is not necessarily only them, but it could be a larger crowd. We do not know who he meant by the disciple, but whoever was there was following Jesus, and they wanted to know more about what Jesus had to say. Now, where Paul and, uh, and the author of Hebrews, uh, they make a reference and they juxtaposition Saint uh, or uh, Mount Sinai against Mount Zion. And where did you get that? Where did the authors of the book of Hebrews and Paul, where did they get that? 
it's exactly from this portion where Mount Sinai, um, the, it had a meaning. And now here was Jesus uh, in the region of Mount Zion, that is Jerusalem, the hill, uh, or in that region. We don't know exactly where this particular event was, but again, grace came from Jesus. So I want to make a reference. I want us to just look at that portion. And so if someone can pick up Hebrews 12, 18 to 24, you're going to see how, how did they make that reference? Here's the law. Here's grace. Where did those two come from? This is the portion where it came from. Uh, let's look at Hebrews 12, 18 to 24, please. The glorious company. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure what was commanded, and if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Here we have the, uh, when you think in terms of Mount Sinai, fear and dread, and, uh, and they're afraid to a point that they're saying to Moses, Moses, why don't you go and talk to God? And then you tell us what God wants us to do here. And so they had to have a mediator as in Moses um, and the fear of the scriptures and the trembling. And as you can see, the blackness and darkness and everything else that came with that delivery of the strict moral code. However, now comes Jesus. And now is Jesus reinterpreting the code and saying, no, that's not it. Is that what he's saying? Well, we'll wait and see in a moment. Uh, he is he saying that uh, forget the old we're going to go with a new way that's too difficult for you so shall let's do the easy way for you and is Jesus reinterpreting all of this so that the, he's making it lighter for them a light version of scriptures uh, we'll wait and see uh, what Jesus has to teach us also so there's this contrast between Mount Zion and Mount Sinai in terms of the fear. And then here's Jesus in uh, Jesus, God himself coming to show his love and compassion and why certain things in scriptures are written in a certain way. When we are in kindergarten, our teachers don't tell us why we should and should not. They just tell you this is how it needs to be done. When you are in middle school, they just tell you, you know, you got to do this or else you go into the principal's office or whatever the punishment may be. When you go into high school and into college years, there's no longer that strictness. Does that mean that the laws have been diluted? No, it just means that you know what the right thing to do is, so do it. And so that I'm giving you a hint of where scripture is going and where Jesus is going with this. And but there will be more to this. So when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Jesus sits down as a rabbi. 
uh, who would, when in, in the rabbinical schools, always a teacher sat down and the students either sat with him or stood uh, while the rabbi taught them uh, what needs to be done. In the synagogue, if you remember, there's a seat for the teacher. Uh, why? Because the teacher always sat down. Sitting was a common posture for teaching. And you will see in Luke 4 and in Matthew 13, you're going to see um, that the rabbi always sits down. And then when the disciples came to him, he opened his mouth and taught him, saying, and that's the way the Beatitude begins, or the, the, the Sermon on the Mount begins. Um, he opened his mouth to speak. Uh, and he started to teach them. Um, there is one aspect, this is more of a geography and the locational value of it. He goes into the mountain. It's almost like an auditorium. Uh, he sits on the mountainside or the hillside and um, you have the um, uh, almost like an auditorium effect. So when he speaks, he doesn't have to shout. It, the, the voice carries. And so that is one of the reasons why Jesus uses a spot like this. The first portion of the Sermon on the Mount is usually called or commonly called as the Beatitudes. What is, the, what is this word Beatitude? Where did this word Beatitude, if you've heard this word Beatitude, where did this come from? Well, it is a Latin, Latin word. And the Latin word is, the, the word means blessings. Notice, in, starting at verse 3, you will see, blessed are. And so the blessing, that section, uh, 3 to 10, you're going to see that there's a whole bunch of verses that it says, blessed are, blessed are. In some other scriptures, you may see another word uh, being used in place of blessed. It, um, in other words, oh, how happy are, or how fortunate are. Um, and so it's a commendation, how great it is that those, those people in that group, blessed are, um, how fortunate they are, uh, is the meaning. So some scriptures may use another word, but basically the meaning is the same. It said, how fortunate, how happy, um, what a privilege it is uh, to be in that group is where it goes. Notice also um, the sections not all of them are in the same tense. If you look through, you will see that um, verse 3 and verse 10 are in the present perfect tense. That is, it happened in the past and it continues to the present. If you notice from verse 4 to 9, however, those are future tenses. Did you see that? Did you notice that? So there is a slight difference in 3 and 10 and 4 and 9, from 4 to 9 being of a different tense uh, from 3 and 10. In the first and the last blessed beatitudes, Jesus declares that the kingdom to be present for those and they are, hence they are blessed. In the intervening verses at 4 to 9, He's referring to a future event, a future, future consolation. While there may be a partial fulfillment in this period, in this time, the complete fulfillment for four to nine is at the end of age. Now you notice that then that is because of the, the tense that you see in those verses, you will see that they're slightly different. 
they will be comforted. You notice that they will be comforted. Did you see that? Uh, it's a future event. Not to say that it is, they are not comforted today, but the completion of that comfort is for a future event. Jesus blesses, <clears throat> blesses his disciple before they come um, to this instructional sermon. Just as God blessed the Israelites before the law was given. How did God bless the Israelites before the law was given? Well, the blessing was they were saved from bondage, wasn't it? Uh, they were saved from slavery to Egypt. And they were baptized and they were brought in and then was the law given. Likewise, Jesus first blesses his disciples and then he gives the law uh, once again. Uh, and he goes right back to the commandments and then he explains what those really mean. So God is blessing us with every spiritual and material blessings. And so we are expected to continue to bless others with that same kind of blessing. Beatitudes also, um, you can find this portion in Matthew and in Luke. The Luke, uh, the Matthew is the longer version. Uh, Matthew has four verses of the Beatitudes, slightly different. Uh, however, they have the same essence, uh, similar um, in both um, the Gospels. When we read through some of these, um, some will say, well, this is a progression of a believer's walk in life. While I can see that progression in some instances, not all, uh, in some instances, I can see that they are sort of progression. Um, but for sure, regardless of progression or not, it is a stage in a person's life. Everyone is a stage. Now, it's not necessary. They are progressive stages. They're just different stages. Uh, or different times in a person's life. And so let us pick up the first one and see uh, what the Lord has for us in this one. And so it goes this way in verse five, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How can poverty in spirit be a blessed thing? Why would poverty in spirit reward you with the kingdom of heaven? Would anyone like to answer me that? What is this thing? It seems so uh, upside down. Here you have poverty and it says the guy who's poor has got the kingdom of heaven. What exactly? What gives? Anyone want to take a venture? Um, a constant need to seek God out? Perhaps. Yeah, you could say that. I think uh, this is Michael here. It's yes. Poor, poor in spirit. So if he, a guy who's poor, he's a beggar. Yes. So he's a beggar. He's a, he's a poor in spirit. So a beggar always begs for the, the word of God. So he's he's begging for the word of God. For If he's begging, is poor in spirit and is seeking the word of God every day. Blessed mm -hmm. so are those who seek the word of God every day. That's what I think. Okay. And uh, now he's poor. And now he's poor and teach. He's he's teachable. He's humble and teachable. Okay. So he's, he's seeking. He's seeking. Um, so he's seeking to be filled with the spirit. All right. I see. So as being. Um. 
recognizing that you have a high spirit as a horse might have a high spirit. They're not as controllable. As long as Nell's not watching us do this. They're full of themselves. Mm. Uh, What's it of a person poor in spirit being meek uh, recognizes their need for someone outside them to be on the throne of their life rather than them being on the throne of their life. Okay. Anyone else? Now, by the way, this conversation, it, it, there's no such thing as, oh, I made a mistake and, you know, you're going to be uh, chastened for it. <laughs> Nothing like that. Um, this is a place where we can share and uh, there is no harm if you got it right or wrong, doesn't matter. So feel free. Uh, you're amongst friends. Have you heard the, the saying, failure is the stepping stone to success? How many of you have heard of it? Uh, Mr. Steve raised his hand. Anyone else? Failure is the stepping stone to success. And how many of you believe that? Oh, yeah. Mr. Steve? Um, sure. Uh, Naveen? Who else? Uh, Eugene, I think he said yes. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, Sister uh, Rupa mentioned yes. Um, can failure result in success? Sure. How does failure result in success? If you learn from the failure. Ah, okay. You didn't tell me that. <laughs> you didn't tell me that part. I didn't hear what she said. If you learn from, if you learn from, she said. Learn from the mistakes you make. Yes. So then a failure in itself cannot result in success. Would you agree with me? Yeah. I think that's what sister mentioned is that if you learn from. I don't like, I, I'm, I'm, I don't agree with this failure is a stepping stone to success. I've used the word acknowledgement of failure is a stepping stone yes, to success. Yes, that's what we meant actually. <laughs> yes, I know. Um, yeah. It's implied, isn't it? It's implied. Impli it's implied that there's an acknowledgement, I've learned from it and hence success, it's the first step towards success. But sometimes we forget the fact that there is this aspect called acknowledgement, a recognition that I have failed and I must do better. So it is not just one thing that's going on. It's the main thing that's going on to get you to success. Failure in itself will leave you in poverty. But a failure followed by certain things that you need to do will end you in success. Likewise, when a person recognizes poverty in one's religious pursuits, one, one can make it to the kingdom of heaven. Let me repeat that. Recognition of poverty in one's pursuit can can it's conditional bring you to the kingdom of heaven 
let's take a look at a couple of examples by what I'm saying. Examples, you see on my blackboard, see the examples, you see the first one? Would anyone like to pick up the first one? Philippians 3, 3 to 9. And I want someone else to pick up John 3, 1 to 3. And a third person to pick up Luke 15, 11 to 24. Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 to 9. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So here we have um, Paul. He is a Pharisee of Pharisees, true stock of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, and concerning righteousness of Pharisee, concerning zeal, utmost zeal, in, in concerning righteousness, he says, in the law he was blameless. There was nothing that was out of place as far as his pursuit of law. He pursued the law. He pursued righteousness by the law. Yet in his pursuits, when he met Christ, he counted them as worthless. He recognized that there was something that was there that didn't add up. He realized that everything that he had went for, his religious pursuits and all of those things that he was doing as the Pharisee of Pharisees, was not getting him to where he wanted to be. That sets us up for the next character that we want to read, John 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Here we have the next case study. Nicodemus is a leader, a ruler of the Jews. In other words, he's a member of the Sanhedrin. And he knows the law just like Paul does. He knows the law in and out. But observing Jesus from afar, he must have seen Jesus do his miracles and the way that he went about his, his thing, 
whatever it was that Nicodemus saw. Nicodemus recognized that whatever it was, was not getting him to that kingdom of heaven. He so clearly recognized it, that there was a mismatch. What gives? I'm pursuing the law just like Paul is. I'm pursuing the law. I'm doing everything by the book. I live to fulfill the law. What's wrong with me? What is it that I'm missing? And when I see that Jesus, I see this huge difference. There's something that is missing in me. And so he goes to Jesus by night. And Jesus understood why he's there. And he says, you cannot do any of those things except you were, you had come from God. In other words, he's saying, look, you are from God. You are God. And Jesus then responds to him. He saw the huge gap between where he is and where Jesus was. A recognition. Paul recognized that there was something not quite right in his pursuit. Now, he understood this after he came to know Jesus. But here's Nicodemus. In seeing Jesus, he recognized, along the way, he's recognizing that this Jesus in me, oh my goodness, there's something that's, I'm trying to pursue this righteousness, I don't have it, and he has it. What is it that he has that I don't have? A recognition of poverty. Now let's look at the next one, uh, Luke 15. The parable of the lost son. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and to before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be married. What was it that changed? What caused him to turn? 
What caused him to turn? Repentance. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, that's true. That repentance is what happened. What caused that? Realization. Realization. Poverty. Hunger. Yeah, hunger. <laughs> yes, real hunger. He was eating pig's food. Realization that there was something wrong. See, if he had not realized recognition that I'm off and look at me, I've come to the end. I had all the wealth. I, I had my share of um, the inheritance. Everything was with me and I did whatever I wanted to do. And during all that period of time that he was just blowing up his money, his inheritance, did he have any recognition? No. Recognition hit him when he hit poverty. Poverty, I mean, this is Jesus talking about this parable. So Jesus, you understand, he teaches in parables. And so he's ex explaining this in worldly sense, but he's talking about the spiritual poverty. We all understand that, isn't it? When this boy understood that he was a pauper, that I'm a beggar, I don't have anything to eat. I have come to the end of my road. I don't have any more to give. I don't have any more to go. Look, I'm eating pigs for them. For the Jews, you know how uh, pigs, how they consider pigs. And here he was in a pig's sty, desiring to eat pig sod because there was nothing else. He recognized poverty. Recognition of poverty is the first step. As I was mentioning, stepping stone to success. Failure is a stepping stone. No, it's not. Recognition, acknowledgement is the first step. Then there's a second step. What is the second step? Repentance. That is true. Repentance. Yeah. yeah with that, I'm, I'm going to put repentance and acknowledgement together. But okay, okay, I'll give repentance. What's the next thing that he had to do? Action. Yes. He had to turn and return to the Father. He's going one way. He had to make a U-turn and come back to the Father. Jesus, in referring to blessed are the poor, he does not explain at this point, and he's left it to us. So the Holy Spirit can teach us that poverty of the Spirit does not give you the kingdom of heaven. Acknowledgement, repentance, and turn. Repentance means to turn, really. So, yeah. uh, Juji, and I'd agree with you. Acknowledgement and repentance. The two of them together gives you the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, in his opening verse in the Beatitudes, talks about happy people, blessed people who pour in spirit. The prodigal son and Nicodemus are biblical examples of people who were down in life. They found meaning in turning back. They acknowledge their failure. Repentance and returning to God are the key to the kingdom of God. 
This is deep teaching about true poverty. Do join us for the next episode as we continue to learn from this verse as to what true riches is. God bless.